biggest story the world has ever known. The rise and rise of Bitcoin. 2022. A single chance for the world. A single moment in time. Bankers captures all cryptocurrency flags. I never knew the story of how did you get in Bitcoin Cash. Yes. So, well, the first time I ever heard about Bitcoin was when I was 17. I think it was probably 17 or maybe I just turned 18. I think I was probably 17, but I was at my friend's place uh, and he was a, my really good friend at the time. And he and I were very, uh, uh, libertarian's not the word because I don't know that we had that philosophy or anything explicitly. Like I didn't know that even libertarianism was a thing, but we were a bit wild, maybe you could say, uh, for the, especially for the Australian context and rather un- unprompted too. It's not that I have, you know, parents or a family influence or anything that I can point to. It's just always how I'd been. And he, he was had that same vibe, right? So we got along well. And we were upstairs at his place in his in his bedroom, just ha- hanging out, chatting. And he said, did you hear that Bitcoin crashed? And I said, why did it crash? And he said, because they shut down the Silk Road drug market that, that people were buying drugs on. And I said, let's buy some. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even ask, what is Bitcoin? How does it work? Nothing like that. I just went straight to what what happened and and then let's get some. And the reason I did that was because I knew that if a website had been taken down, someone would make another website. So if the price of whatever this is has crashed based on that singular event, people are very prone to FUD, right? What's now called FUD uh, and hype and being distracted by temporary things. And so that, that was where I first heard about it. And then I think I was a little uh, busy for the next couple of months, but I had it in the back of my mind, like this is definitely an opportunity. So that was in 2013, that was in June or July of 2013 when I was in Australia. And then about two or three months later in either September or October, I think probably in September, I was in China. I was studying at the Beijing Dashia at the Peking University in Beijing. And I uh, remember just one, one day I had some free time or something. I started my mind about the Bitcoin. So I went online and I looked up Bitcoin and I immediately found the white paper. And so I sat down while I was lying on my bed and I read this, uh, the white paper and I immediately thought, this is going to be the global reserve currency. Exactly what I say on my show now. I didn't need to know really any, any more, any more than that from just, yeah, reading the white paper. It just clicked to me that like I'd already done some computer science, I think. So that kind of helped or I already was programming. So I was well aligned with that. And I think ideologically, I already had the prerequisites. And then also on the, I was not some big economics student, but I understood that it would be more efficient and if it wasn't controlled by the government, you would already be at an advantage. Yeah, I immediately thought, wow, this is going to change the world. And I spent the next couple of weeks just obsessively reading about it. I missed some of my classes and everything. And I called up my parents to tell them I was going to buy some. And they thought I was being scammed by some kind of (laughs) online scheme because I told them I wanted to sell my uh, shares. I had shares in Australia in, Commonwealth Bank, which is the largest bank in Australia. And because I was, yeah, I think I had just turned 18 or I was just under 18 or something like that. And they had the shares in their name because you can't buy shares when you're a, a kid. So I had it like done by my dad. So I had to try and convince him to let, to let, uh, let me, you know, sell the shares and have the money to put into Bitcoin. So I did manage to convince him 
But I think he still thought it was a scam. He just thought I would learn a good lesson yeah, about hard, getting scammed right. and losing all my money. Yeah. Uh, so I, I got, I, but I got some of those funds. But at the time, yeah, buying Bitcoin was not simple. So I bought my first Bitcoin on Virwox, the virtual, uh, can't even remember what the second half of it is, virtual Warcraft exchange or something, uh, Virwox, which was you could buy with PayPal, but you had to buy uh, Second Life Lindens for the video game Second Life. Uh, uh, so I, you had to buy them and then convert that into Bitcoin. So it was it was a, an eighteen percent markup. Oof! So you had lost twenty percent immediately just by buying some. Brutal. But I knew I was like, I'm going to make this back easy, no problem. So I had no doubt about uh, putting some money in. So I did that, and then I was getting more down the rabbit hole. I started reading. I read a little bit on Bitcoin Talk, but at that time, uh, Reddit.com/r/bitcoin, the Bitcoin subreddit was already going going pretty well. It had about thirty or forty thousand subscribers so i subscribed onto that and i also started doing a bit of trading on btce which was this bulgarian exchange which later got shut down by the fbi and i just yeah i just played around uh buying and selling a few terrible coin litecoin and prime coin feather coin and, and using it a little bit and yeah i guess that's the that's the story what, what year was that so that was so that was in that was in yeah the second half like the latter third of 2013 and I was following it well that was when the bull run started right so it went from about $300 to uh, $1,200 on on Mount Gox and then Mount Gox subsequently blew up and I was in my room at the time I was spending so much time in my room uh, just reading about Bitcoin stuff I went to some classes when I had to and I also I was living in the nightlife area, so I also went out and <laughs> had a lot of fun. It was this uh, kind of crazy, you know, life that I had at the time. And uh, yeah, the Mount Gox just kicked off. And I remember being, I was online at the time when Mount Gox, they they, they shut off the site once everything blew up. And I had the site open and you, you know, control refresh and the site just went blank to white. It wasn't, he didn't uh, turn off the servers and get, you know, 404, there is no page. Nothing like that. He just deleted all the content on the page. So you could still get the domain name, but you couldn't do anything. You couldn't sign, you couldn't log in. And uh, yeah, of course that was bad for the price. The price crashed, but it was fine because I had bought a little bit of Bitcoin or really as much as I could get my hands on, which at the time I didn't have much money. So it wasn't that much, but I had bought some Bitcoin and the week before when the price had been hitting the new all time highs, it was a bit of a news story. So I was at the university and somebody said, oh, did you see this thing called Bitcoin just hit $1,000? And I said, yeah, I have some. And they said, are you going to sell it? And I said, yeah, they said, are you selling it? And I said, why would I do that? And they said, you could make a fortune. And I thought, this they just, they don't get it. So of course I didn't sell. And of course the price then immediately crashed. So I would have, been, you know, should have taken their advice in the short term, but in the long run, I, I knew that it would go well past uh, $1,000. Yeah. Did you, did you keep holding on to it or did you find yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know. Well, so I was, of course, I was just, yeah, hodling there. I did try and find ways to use it in terms of trying to get more because this Virwox was not going to last long and it was so expensive. So I had to try and find other ways to get Bitcoin. So I met, I don't even remember how I, how I met him, but there was some other guy in China who was a foreigner. He must have been, maybe he was American. And I near where my place was, there was a like a hamburger bar type 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 joint. It was called Steps, and uh, so I somehow maybe it was on like Bitcoin Talk or something. 
I found this guy and we met up in the uh, bar there and it was good because the staff all knew me, right? Because I was in there a lot buying burgers. So I thought like, we're doing this uh, questionable deal for like a cash trade. You need to do it somewhere where you know you're not gonna get robbed or whatever. So I, I had it at this place, which was uh, in a convenient location for me. And also that I knew that I had like a home ground advantage. I knew the staff and, and everything like that. So uh, we met up there and he came in and uh, he sold me one, one and a half Bitcoin or one Bitcoin for 3000 yuan. Uh, RMB, the, the Chinese Chinese yen, and uh, but we had to do it at the time. Obviously, the wallets were like terrible and stuff like that. So I had my actual laptop there because the only light wallet that I knew about was Multibit, which is now long gone. I don't know what happened to it, but <laughs> you know that was that was kind of a fun experience. And meeting him, we didn't really hit it off or anything. We didn't really become uh, great friends or anything. But it it was it was fun to do that in a real you know we're probably the only not the only two people in Beijing, but certainly the only to foreigners in, in Beijing and yeah, one of the first however many people in the world that were using Bitcoin. So yeah, you treat cool. it like a drug deal. That's right. That that was that was exactly how I was thinking about it. Yeah. And I mean it's not that Bitcoin was illegal, but it also wasn't legal. There was certainly very little clarity, so it was in the grey area. And now sure. you are paying for your hotel room with VCH. Yes. Hell yeah. What a difference. <laughs> yeah. So with the whole BCH thing, basically what happened was I came quite uh, involved in it. Obviously I was involved in it. And then I went back to Australia. And while I was in uh, Australia, I was in, in, in Canberra. It's a small place, right? And only uh, 300,000 people. And there was not really a lot of local Bitcoin activity. There was not meetups. There was not, I was telling everyone I could about it because I was so excited about it. But people were mostly like, this guy's crazy. And unlike the, you know, meetups and different things that there would be around the world, there just wasn't any of that in Australia. And sure, well, certainly not in Canberra, but I don't think even in Sydney uh, or anywhere else that I could feasibly sort of get to. So as time went on and I was just sort of disconnected from, I still needed my Bitcoin fix. So I posted a lot on slash r slash Bitcoin, which was where all the most conversation and activity was happening. So I was actually like convinced that I was on the right track because I was one of the very, very popular posters. I wrote, I didn't make a lot of threads, but I responded in a lot of threads with quite detailed uh, answers, you know, multi-paragraph answers. And I would get upvoted to the, the tops of the threads. And it wasn't like I was somebody who was no, it was just an anonymous uh, username, right? So I posted on our Bitcoin quite a lot in those uh, couple of years. And then once the block size war and all the censorship and stuff started, I, you know, I mean, I was right in the firing line for that. So I got banned very quickly uh, <laughs> from from that uh, discussion. It's like a rite of passage now. Yeah, for a lot of the Bitcoin Cash people. Have you been Absolutely. banned on Bitcoin yet? Yeah, so I got I got uh, I got banned. So I moved over to R slash BTC, and it was just obvious to me that it's a peer to peer electronic cash system. Like it's if you because I started with the white paper, it's just so obvious and I knew you know that Satoshi wrote like we've got to raise the block size and all that it was just destroying you wouldn't have been able to do that deal at the hamburger bar without raising the point it was that obvious to me it's also just such a simple thing like why would you say that would I don't understand the argument that this ruins Bitcoin yeah like do you want it to be inefficient well they, like, the they, market, they right? do yeah so I think that the real reason was just that it had to just, because Bitcoin was exploding at this time, it was 
growing and you can still look today at the growth in active addresses it's like a horizontal line up you know or horizontal uh, vertical not no vertical, like 45 degree like it's a sharp incline it's just oh, going, okay. going up as time time goes on right so it was going kind of exponential and obviously that all needed to get clamped down and like anything it well it was decentralized even back then you know it was very decentralized in the sense that no, nobody i didn't know anybody i didn't know any bitcoiners i didn't know any except online maybe so because it had to it had to be stopped so that became the narrative clearly whoever wanted to stop it had looked very closely at where where where, where is the chink in the armor where is the point of weakness here and it wasn't the mining even at that stage it had already gone too far it wasn't sort of you know the community or the um merchant adoption some way of screwing that up or it wasn't the the drug markets you know they were it was trying to slander all of that but that wasn't really having much of an effect it was just uh, creating excitement. It was just getting publicity and getting. Yeah, right, 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 right. Uh, so obviously, the whole black market's like, wait, we can do what? <laughs> we can do what with Bitcoin? <laughs> That's right, exactly. <laughs> Flooding in and creating a hype, and so obviously the chosen weapon was a social disinformation attack, uh, and it was yeah, just the block size limit was a convenient sort of shelling point to create a division over, and. Mm. Unfortunately, uh, not all that many OGs, but uh, enough kind of couple of people bought this narrative and uh, went with it. And that's just the way it goes, is that when you're banning everyone who's in the opposition, even if it started at 90% sort of big blockers and 10% maybe small blockers, if you're just banning all the big blockers, then the new people coming in are going to fall on the small block side because they're only hearing one side of the argument or a weakened side of the other argument because anybody who has a good argument has already been banned, which they aren't aware yeah. of. Yeah. And uh, with the community growing so fast, they just rapidly were outnumbering the, the big blockers. Yeah, like anybody who knows what's up comes in and posts it and they're like, no, nope, you're banned. That's and then anybody who doesn't know what's up comes in and asks what's up and then they can only receive that information. So they're learning. They their mentors, back. their yeah. mentors are just wrong. That's right, exactly. But, but that's been, it's a culture that was curated. Yes, yes, very heavily so. And because at the time it was so small for a dedicated adversary, it was like now we're having this uh, meetup, having everybody here, people are meeting face to face and developing sort of bonds of trust and stuff. So it would be harder to insert a lot of, like if somebody radically changed their personality or did something completely different, that that would be easier to notice. Yeah. But back then it was all online screen names anyway, for the most part. So it was hard to know, who, you know, what to trust and who was real and who wasn't. We're coming for you, Banks. I wasn't bored last night. Another money ain't.